I came back home saying to everybody, oh, this is what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be taking university students and they're going to be studying together with prisoners as equals in a prison. And everybody was like, what? Are you crazy? <laughs> um, and so that was kind of what drew me in. So, so what I was kind of thinking about at the time was um, this will completely help me what I, exactly what I want to do. I want to produce graduates that, that are going to have an understanding and empathy about people with whom they work. Mm-hmm. So they're going to understand from a kind of a human nature that these are people very similar to them. Mm-hmm. At the same time, people who are on the inside are going to be part of this learning. Mm-hmm. So they're going to develop self-confidence, motivation, um, and are going to see that there are people out there in the community who care what happens to them and understand their complex pathway. This is Beyond the Big House podcast with Tess Bartler, a podcast about creativity and criminal justice. In this podcast, you'll hear thought-provoking conversations and stories about creativity and criminal justice from experts, practitioners, researchers, artists, musicians, and people with lived experience of the criminal justice system. Welcome to Episode 2 of Beyond the Big House. I'm your host, Dr. Tess Bartlett. In this episode, I talk with Marietta Martinovich, a senior lecturer in global studies at RMIT and the first Australian academic to complete the Inside Out Prison Exchange Program training in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 2008. We talk about how Marietta came to be studying and teaching in corrections and her involvement in Inside Out and how it took her eight years to get it up and running in Australia. Inside Out is a program where inside students work along outside students within a prison environment for an entire semester. Marietta also talks about the think tanks where past students from Inside Out come together on a voluntary basis to become advocacy groups to work on projects to either improve the incarceration experience or reduce the likelihood of re-offending after incarceration. This episode is brought to you by Audible. With over 400,000 audiobooks to listen to at home, in the car, or in the bath, you can access your 30-day free trial with two free audiobooks by heading to thissimplespace.com forward slash audible. I hope you enjoy this fascinating discussion, and please do write us a review on Apple Podcasts and share the episode with someone you know. Here is my conversation with Marietta. Hi, Marietta. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, Tess. So I came across your work uh, several years ago when you were presenting at the Australian and New Zealand uh, Criminology Conference um, and you were talking at the time about the Inside Out Prison Exchange Program that you got started here in Australia and um, you're also currently a senior lecturer at RMIT here in Melbourne but um, before we kind of before we explore those things in more detail I would like to um, know a little bit more about you. So I was wondering whereabouts you grew up and and what influence did growing up there have on you and the decisions you've made with your life? Okay, what what a great question and a great uh, introduction. So thank you for all that, Tess. So I, um, together with my family, migrated to Australia when I was 13, back in 1992. And we came here as war refugees from Bosnia. So we had very good lives and kind of um, overnight that all changed uh, with the breakout of a civil war. So we came to a foreign country. None of us knew any English and we kind of had to start our lives um, all over again. Um, I found the change particularly difficult because I was very used to living with my extended family, with my grandparents. um, And I really, really missed them. Um, and of course, you know, I miss my friends, I miss my surroundings, I miss my language, I miss my culture and all those things. Um, so anyway, so it was a hard transition as one would mm-hmm. imagine, or probably more so for my family than for me. 
Um, mm -hmm. But a few years later, my grandparents also migrated and everything was lovely. Um, and we were all together and life was great again. Um, so what that got me kind of, I think, um, thinking about was the importance of family uh, and the importance of kind of that bigger support group um, mm -hmm. and assistance and kind of a vision that, you know, everything is possible if you kind of stick together, you work hard and, um, you know, you are adamant to do something with your life. Mm -hmm. So then I got in, um, interested in corrections um, mm -hmm. in my university degree. I thought, oh, this sounds so interesting. You know, this is kind of me. I want to help people. I want to, you know, um, assist their process of reintegration. I mean, mm -hmm. this was my idea when I was 19. <laughs> um, and so then what happened is that my, um, I did a placement through university as a community corrections officer, and that was my very first job. Mm -hmm. I was supervising offenders on probation and parole for Corrections Victoria for a period of four years. During this time, I did a master's and that led to a PhD and, you know, the rest is history. And then I got into an academic career mm -hmm. where I'm now able to kind of help produce graduates that kind of, I hope, have the empathy and understanding toward offenders, which I think is uh, necessary. Mm, great. And um, so in terms of your experience and, and moving, moving over here and, and as you mentioned, the importance of um, family and, and sticking together in kind of community, how do you think, um, how has that um, or has that in any way influenced how you approach uh, the work that you do with university students or in any capacity? Look, I, I think so. It certainly made me a lot more kind of aware, I would say, of the importance of, you know, strong relationships and strong community-based connections. And I think it's kind of made me think that I want to try and assist students in kind of trying to keep those, whether the students are on the inside, in prisons or outside, you know, in the community. I think those things are very important. Mm -hmm. um, and I that those have kind of um, lost some of their importance with this increased individualization, um, you know, in which we kind of live in and the world that we live in where everything is about the oneself and one's success, one's privacy, one's growth. And I think we've lost some of that collectivism, which I think makes um, life much easier, much better. Um, and actually, you know, having support is a wonderful thing. Mm. Mm, it is. Um, and so when you said, um, you know, that you got interested in criminology at uni, so around the age of um, 19, do you remember what it was about it? Like, do you remember kind of what drew you to that? You know, that's a really good question. Um, look, I joined um, criminal justice um, mm -hmm. degree on the basis of wanting to work, uh, follow the work of my mum and dad. So my mum and dad um, kind of were in a relevant area. My mother was a lawyer who worked in a bank um, when we lived overseas. And my father, he is um, an engineer, but who worked in customs. And, mm. and I thought, you know, this kind of follows their footstep. Mm -hmm. But I've always honestly wanted to be a teacher. You know, it was, you know, ever since I was kind of five, I was, you know, uh, role playing, teaching and, you know, I had a pointer and, <laughs> and everything was always about, you know, this is, this is me, this is what I want to be. I'm going to be grading students and, you know, anyway, so as I was kind of getting into that, I am um, um, studying corrections. I thought, oh, this sounds so amazing and it looks like it needs so many changes. You know, it's mm. quite problematic. Um, and, and at the same time, it helps people. So I thought that kind of really drew me in. So mm. I was never going to go work for the police because I didn't think I could make much change there because I mm -hmm. thought the culture is so entrenched. I mean, be that right or wrong, that they, those were my thoughts. Mm. And of course, I thought, you know, that's very procedural, kind of it's not me. And kind of the, the third kind of part of the puzzle was corrections. And so, yeah, that's where, that's the world I embarked on, you know, mm. at 19 years of age. 
And was there a teacher, because um, you said that, you know, you always wanted to be a teacher. Do, do you remember if there was a teacher that had a really big impact on you? Um, and why, why was that such a big impact? There certainly was a teacher that had a big impact on me. Um, and it was my legal studies teacher. Um, and this was in year 11 and year 12. Um, and I think she kind of also drew me into that world of kind of, you know, criminal justice in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was just, she was just lovely. She was just understanding. And, um, you know, whilst I was going through high school, um, you know, a lot of kids can be quite mean, um, you know, oh, and, you know, calling you a wog. What do you know? You have an accent. Um, and, you know, often I would think, oh, I don't really want to go to school because, you know, mm. this is what's going to happen. Um, but she kind of turned that around. She said, who cares what they say? You know, mm. so she would kind of speak to me and my best friend who was in the same boat as me. And, um, you know, she would say, who cares what they say? You know, it doesn't matter at all. And she, so, so it was her classes that were very engaging, very interactive. Um, and, you know, her personality of, don't worry what other people think. And of course, when you're a teenager, that kind of don't worry what other people think attitudes, it's not, it's not that easy. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, so I would say, um, you know, her name was uh, Janine. It was, it was really her that kind of, I think, um, made a difference in my life for sure. Mm-hmm. And how, how have you, um, do you, do you feel like you've adopted some of um, what, sh- what you took from that into your own approach to uh, teaching or passing on knowledge? Uh, look, yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, I think that it, students, first of all, must understand that you care. So, so what I do is I, you know, I really try to um, be caring to, to students. Um, I try to understand them as much as I can. I try to apply kind of an individualistic approach to, you know, getting to know students. That, of course, has become increasingly difficult um, with increasing sizes of our classes. Mm-hmm. Um, it happened kind of across the country, really. But you know, I'm quite fortunate that in the program which I teach, Inside Out um, and the Think Tanks and, other, and others, um, you know, I have relatively small classes. So I can actually apply some of these principles of understanding general chats and just seeing how people are going. Um, mm. And I think that's so, so important. But also to be, you know, when you're presenting material, to be interactive, engaging, ask questions, you know, get people to kind of think on the spot and not just listen to you know one's own voice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I think that would be a great way to kind of start talking about inside out and the think tanks that you um that you run so uh, for those people who aren't aware of what inside out is are you able to just explain it a little bit and um how you came to be involved Yep, sure. So, um, as I said to you, my first job was a community corrections officer and I was doing my master's at that time and I attended the very first um, conference, which was the World Congress of Criminology Mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. And this was back in 2005. And there was an opportunity to spend a day at an American prison as part of the conference. And this prison was the Greaterford prison, which just, we just actually closed a few weeks ago. Yeah. And at this prison, I met basically people who are, you know, the brainstormers behind Inside Out. And I was so impressed um, by their knowledge, by their insight into crime and justice. Um, and I felt like I learned so much in a day like I hadn't learned almost my entire life. Um, And I was just absolutely blown away. Um, Mm -hmm. And this was a group of mostly inside students, so incarcerated men who are, you know, going to be there forever. They're all lifetime incarcerations. And Mm -hmm. so anyway, I was just like, wow, you know, I've learned so much. There was so much empathy, so much understanding. It was just incredible. And I just thought, this is me. I have to do something like this. Okay. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, I came back home saying to everybody, oh, this is what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be taking university students and they're going to be studying together with prisoners as equals in a prison. And everybody was like, what? Are you crazy? <laughs> um, and so that was kind of what drew me in. So, so what I was kind of thinking about at the time was um, this will completely help me what I, exactly what I want to do. I want to produce graduates that, that are going to have an understanding and empathy about people with whom they work. Mm-hmm. So they're going to understand from a kind of a human nature that these are people very similar to them. Mm-hmm. At the same time, people who are on the inside are going to be part of this learning. Mm-hmm. So they're going to develop self-confidence, motivation, um, and are going to see that there are people out there in the community who care what happens to them and understand their complex pathway. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I was you know, blown away and I thought, no, this is, this is me. So I did the training a couple of years later from my own funds and then, of course, came back home and then everybody was saying, but there are so many risks when you take university students into a prison, et cetera, et cetera. So it took eight years for the very first pilot to actually be approved by all of the stakeholders. And this was back in 2015. Mm-hmm. And, you know, haven't looked back since. Um, mm-hmm. The most important, I think, part of the journey is that, and the definition, I suppose, is that it's, University students come together with prisoners and they study as equals mm-hmm. for an entire semester. Mm-hmm. And that's just, you know, the most amazing. I mean, look, I knew it would be amazing, but um, now that I actually do this kind of work, I honestly could have never imagined how much, how amazing it would be really. Mm. Mm. Wow. And and so you said it took eight years, which is a pretty long time. So I'm interested to know what um, some of the challenges you were kind of faced with along the way and how you um, overcame some of these. Well, um, for the first set of challenges came mostly from corrections, mm-hmm. um, kind of saying, you know, well, we're not sure exactly what the benefits are. We are not exactly sure you know, if, even if there is a program that works quite well in America, how is it going to work here? Um, so it, it, took a, it took many years to kind of pursue that. It's a good idea. Uh, give me a go. Um, you know, and all we can do is pilot it and really see what the results are going to be down in our part of the world. You know, we can assume, and I agree with that, we can assume, but we can never actually know until we trial it. Mm. Um, and then, of course, the universities, oh, my goodness, you know, there were so many different committees that wanted to <laughs> you know, have a look at this. You know, it was like four different committees. And every time, you know, people were like, I'm not sure. I don't know why, but I just think no. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. And so it took a long time to kind of educate people, to allay their fears and to kind of say, Let's give it a go. Mm. Uh, and thankfully, you know, I was given the permission to give it a go uh, back in 2015 when, when I ran it the very first time. Mm. And what did it take in you um, on a personal level to, ke- to keep it going for, for that eight years? Look, I, I kept on kind of um, meeting back with um, people who run the programs uh, back in the United States. And they kind of um, kept me, kind of pulling me in and keeping me involved and engaged. Um, And I think that helped a lot. So I never forgot about it. I always thought, this is me. This is what I want to be doing. Don't Mm -hmm. do anything else. I just want to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, later on, it was really, I had the support of a discipline leader who was kind of like, you think this is so good, we do, I'm just going to do everything to help you. So it was certainly a number of people kind of in my space that were like, yep, we understand um, and we'll find a way. Um, mm. And that, that really helped. And I think, you know, always there's an element of luck, to be absolutely honest, and timing. You know, mm. timing was just right at that moment. Yeah. And 
that that's kind of what happened. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So for other people doing um, similar programs or, tr- or work, what would you tell them? I think, um, and I always say the same thing to the students, if you believe in something, um, keep uh, at it. Um, don't give up. There's always a way. Um, just surround yourself with positive people. <laughs> That's what mm. I would say. Mm. Who, you know, who believe in you and who will provide that assistance. And there were certainly times when I, you know, would come back from one of these um, um, university uh, committees and I would just cry, honestly mm. cry. Um, I think now, well, that was pretty silly, but I would because this was so important to me, mm. you know, just to give it a go, just to see. So I think it is, um, you know, a lot of people would have kind of given up along the way, but, you know, I don't give up. I'm not the kind of person that gives up. And I think that's an important thing for students to also see, both mm. on the inside and the outside, that, you know, it's, it's always, you know, pretty easy to give up. Um, but I think if you believe in something and you want something really bad, you just realise that you don't give up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when, because when you talk about it, there's obvious, um, you know, you're definitely passionate about this. So, so why was it so important to you that it, that it happened? It's so important to me because I, I, I could see through my work in corrections, um, the importance of empathy and the importance of understanding, mm. um, particularly in community-based settings. And Many of the people that, that are graduates um, of the programs in which I teach at RMIT end up working with offenders in some capacity, either right. in in courts, but quite a lot end up in corrections, in that community-based correction space. And I felt that they really ought to have an understanding and empathy toward the clientele. And I think that when you enter the field already in an authority figure, a la you're a community corrections officer or a case manager or police officer or whatever, I don't think that at that time you can, try, you can start and develop understanding and empathy. Hmm. I think that this is a perfect space. Inside Out is a perfect space where you can really understand what is going on. What is it about these people's lives that has resulted them in being here? Mm-hmm. And they do that on the basis of equality, on the basis of I'm your fellow student, tell me. It doesn't happen quite like that, but it happens through kind of normal, ordinary conversations. And mm. that's what makes it just so beautiful and so unique. Mm. Because, you know, what's another space in which this could happen? It's almost non-existent. Yeah. So I think that's the power. Mm. And that's why I, why I really wanted this to happen. And I also, another thing I think that I should mention here is that um, I've, I've kind of been in this field for the last almost 20 years. And what I've seen is that, you know, our practices have become so much more punitiveness oriented. We've become so much more tough on crime and tough on people who break rules. You know, and this is kind of as a society, as a community. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I feel like this is a way to kind of have a more constructive debate about the whole, you know, kind of the whole agenda of, of, of punishment of people who break the law and what should we do with them. And this goes at least some way in kind of having a more realistic debate in in my personal opinion so mm. that's that those are kind of the key reasons yeah so what is the experience like for those who take part like both the university students on the outside and also the inside students like are you able to walk us through a, like a day for the, for those people and how it might look absolutely cool. so in the beginning um well let me first start by saying um both sets of students inside and outside are carefully selected for the program. Mm -hmm. So that's important to be said. So the people on the inside, the prisoners are selected by uh, the prison authorities in consultation with um, 
their um, clinical supervisors. Okay, the um, outside students are selected by an expression of interest process plus a panel interview, which comprises of uh, once again prison authorities and um, academics. So it's kind of a hard to get into space. That's because one has to be kind of um, observant of people's kind of maturity levels most so. Mm. So in an ideal kind of scenario, I want people who are mature and who are going to kind of see any problematic behavior coming and are going to come to me as the person in charge mm. before it becomes too late. So Anyway, so that's number one. So careful selection is very important. Second thing which is really important is that we operate in a space of semi-anonymity. So this is to protect people's privacy, to increase confidentiality. And of course, there are lots of rules about just general ethical, uh, proper behavior. Okay. So, and I think that's very important to be said. And so once all that's kind of understood, we go into a prison. So the outside students are usually very scared and very nervous about meeting the offenders for the first time. And the inside students are even more scared mm-hmm. because they think, here are these people outside in the community who are probably going to judge me, who are probably going to be thinking about what have I done to be here? And we don't talk about offending at all. Offending, personal offending is not part of the course at all. What happens is simply the lived prison experience or the lived criminal justice experience um, meets the textbook experience and the two worlds mesh. So then there are little little group work, Uh, We work in a circle all together. We watch films. We read articles. And everything is about discussions. And everything is about personal growth. And that's very individualistic. And so part of the assessment is also related to this personal journey. And reflecting on what did you observe or what two things did you observe about today's class? And I can tell you that reading these um, reflections is absolutely the best part of my job by far. Hmm. Yeah, wow. It sounds amazing. And so I wonder with the, um, I was reading a quote from um, the report that was published in 2017 that said, if they don't feel human themselves, why would they treat anyone else like they were humans? I think that was from an outside student. And I just wonder, um, or I'm curious about the misperceptions or stereotypes about um, the inside students that, that might exist before people take part and, and whether these change over time. That's a really good question. Um, look, it's a, such such a good question. Anyway, um, <laughs> yes, look, what we have found in doing the research about Inside Out was that, interestingly enough, these um, perceptions and stereotypes change, and you would kind of expect that to happen. Mm-hmm. But a number of the students also Um, talked about in the interviews that which we conducted about actually changes to the stereotypes that they didn't know they had Mm. so they actually thought that these were there were some stereotypes which were so ingrained in in society that you don't even think twice that they exist and I thought well that's real something Mm -hmm. you know that you are not only able to kind of um, well, the, the program doesn't only challenge the stereotypes which, you know, we know about or we're aware of, but it also has the capacity to challenge the stereotypes that, you know, we don't even know might be in place. Mm. Um, and, and that is just, you know, so, so remarkable, so remarkable. 
And are you able to give us an example of one of what these um, stereotypes might be that people didn't even know they had? Um, I guess just because some people listening might even have some of those same stereotypes and not even know they have them. <laughs> so, yeah, sure, sure. So um, one of the first ones is that, you know, um, most of the outside students uh, come in thinking, oh, I'm going to be so smart in this class, you know, uh, I know kind of everything, you know, I've had two years of study under my belt, university study, now I'm doing a third year, you know, I've read done a lot of things, I've done lots of essays, you know, prisoners are usually uneducated, prisoners usually, you know, they don't think properly, so, you know, here am I, you know, I'm going to be telling them all about this, right? And of course, when they walk in, they realise, wow, you know, this is not what I thought. They have walked the walk. Because what the, the, the prisoners usually say is, well, yes, the research may well tell you that, but in my case, this is how this has been. Mm. And so they kind of often take them back um, and kind of have to then rethink, wow, you know, that may be what I read. It may be what I thought. But my goodness, it's not really like that. Or it hasn't been like that for this person. You know, and the other thing is that, you know, quite often we will have a look at what, you know, various organizations will tell us how they assist people when they exit the prison. So they might say, oh, we have all these programs which we offer to people on the inside. Then we have all these strategies and programs for people once they are released. And then they hear from, you know, the offenders themselves, what's it like to be released from a prison? What do you actually get and what don't you get? Mm. How hard it is to actually qualify for some of these programs and how these programs that may well exist don't actually, you know, allow access to everybody, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they really see that kind of real complexity of, going through the system, you know, from the word go until the incarceration period. And they also see that, um, you know, a lot of these people have very, very poor community connections and very poor, poor community slash family support. Mm. So they kind of see, you know, they get to understand firsthand without me saying anything, which I think is very important because I facilitate these sessions. Mm -hmm. Okay. I certainly don't see myself as a be-all, end-all. Um, and what happens is that in most cases, well, not in most cases, on every um, occasion, I learn something. Mm. And what they realize is that they learn something about themselves as well. So I'll give you an example. Um, in these reflections, outside students would say, um, I was talking to an, you know, an, an inmate today and he was telling me about how he has had no um, relationship with his father for the last two years. And then I was reflecting back on how I had a fight with my own father three days ago because I didn't clean up my room. And I realized I was so angry with dad. You know, how could he speak to me like that? And so what if I didn't clean the room? And now I realize just how important it is to have a dad. Mm. So, mm. so you see how it's, it's not just about the criminal justice system, but it's actually this personal growth that takes place. You know, you start thinking about other people, not just yourself. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's brilliant. I think that there's really something very powerful in that. Mm -hmm. So what the students say is that, oh, you know, this was life-changing. And I think that's what they're referring to when they talk about the life-changing nature of the program, that you kind of can't forget about the lessons which you have learned. They always stay with you, you know, regardless where you're going to go and work. And, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully these students are going to be doing some policy work down, you know, down the track. And, you know, they're not going to be simply thinking, oh, yeah, that's another number, oh, yes, you know, et cetera. They're going to be thinking those men and women in, inside our jails and prisons or people who break the law or what have you, 
are the men and women whom I've actually known for three months. And they are complex. And therefore, uh, they'll think twice and more in depth about applying some of these um, you know, rules on them. So anyway, there's some kind of the, of the ideas behind it. Mm. So I'm curious about the reflection or the personal growth aspect and just wondering how that actually works. Like is that a process of, do you think, in your view anyway, is it about people seeing seeing other people's behaviour and um, in seeing their behaviour they kind of internalise it or or mirror it to their own lives or what do you think is actually going on during that process? I, I think a few things are going on during that process. Um, for the outside students, I think that they understand, they get to understand the complexity of somebody going through the criminal justice system from the time that they offend through the police cells and the investigation through to, you know, the court process and then incarceration. So they get to see all that and then they see, wow, this is nowhere near as easy as I had read about or mm. as I had imagined actually kind of hearing about it and seeing it firsthand is completely different. So I think that's where the growth happens. And then for the inside students, I think that they see, they see the compassion for, from the people who are coming in each week. They also see their growth and they see their interest in them. Mm. Okay. And I think to them, that, that is life-changing in a way because they, you know, write things like, wow, there are people in the community who care about what happens to me on the inside. And they never kind of click to that. They always think, and this is a generalization, by the way, but they tend to think, I should say, that people who work in this space, in the criminal justice sector, is what I mean, tend to, you know, not necessarily think about people who are in custody, tend to kind of overlook their needs, their mm -hmm. rights, etc. And I think for the first time they think, wow, there are people who actually aren't as I imagined. They're actually people with feelings. They're people who care. And I think to them that that's something big as well. And that's what makes it, I think, kind of, life-changing and, and, you know, generally different to what they imagine. Mm. So why do you think there is a disconnect between um, what people know, um, like the public in general, um, or even students who, prior to kind of taking part in these courses, and what actually happens for people who are in prison and are leaving prison? Hmm, that's why is there a disconnect yeah. There, look, look, yeah i understand what you're saying um lots of reasons but i think um one key reason is media portrayal um of you know everybody who breaks the law it's always very negative um even you know when we read about sentences that are handed out once again they're always sentences that are you know the two percent that you know they pick and choose are the ones that the community is going to be, you know, um, upset about, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's this, you know, kind of a law and order um, debate, which is kind of given out by the media. And, you know, the people in custody are always portrayed as, you know, kind of awful, abhorrent, don't, not deserving a second chance. So I think it's that. Um, I also think it's um, a lot of... Uh, crime shows on TV, you know, there's been a lot of kind of research saying that um, the fact that there are so many crime shows on TV has increased the fear of crime in the community, mm -hmm. despite the fact that crime has been actually coming down, this is overall crime over the last number of years and even decades, both here and in the United States, uh, the fear of crime has been increasing and TV shows have something to do with that. So I think it's that. Mm. Um, and number three, it's, you know, people think, well, if 
I can do it. If I can, you know, be law abiding and put in a hard slog and work and study. And if I can, everybody else should. Mm. And I think that when they actually come into prison, they realize, oh, it's not as simple as I had imagined. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of a kind of a long answer to, you know, a pretty complex question that you asked. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so how do you think it could be like, I guess I'm, I'm wondering how it could be done on a larger scale, like to bring that personal connection, um, people knowing each other, empathy, compassion, um, all of the things that you mention as making it really powerful, making it really effective. Um, how could it be done in a larger scale? Like, do you think it's possible in any way? Well, look, that's, that, that's been a challenge in my own mind. <laughs> um, and yes, I completely agree that it would, you know, ideally really need to be done on a much bigger scale. And I always keep, you know, always think education is the key. But mm-hmm. it's so hard to educate people about something quite foreign to them. And it's quite hard to have this, you know, one hour, two hours engaging process where this happens. But I would imagine that that would be the the only thing that I can think of. It would be education and it would be, you know, from somebody who was a complete skeptic who has now come all this way and learned something completely different. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what it would take. Um, The success rates, look, I'm not quite sure, but I think there would be some people who would get a lot out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Interest, once again, I'm not sure that there would be people. uh, Well, there would be some, but not necessarily many people out there in the community who would be kind of even willing, um, you know, to listen to this kind of um, education session, if you like. But Mm -hmm. it is something that you and I could brainstorm in the future. (laughs) <laughs> sure, sounds good. Um, so, how has it actually been long term for uh, those involved? Like, what what happens to the inside students? Are they still in prison? Are they out? Have they returned to prison? And and what does your research or other research show around inside out more generally in terms of those who take part? Mm-hmm. So, in terms of those who take part on the inside. Um, as you've said, some are still in custody, so are, some are long-termers. Mm-hmm. Others have been released. From the ones that have been released, some have continued on um, the educational pathway because as part of Inside Out, they realized that, wow, you know, I can study. You know, I may not have year 12 education, but, you know, you know, I actually have the intellect to write an essay. I have an intellect to do some research. I have an intellect to do a presentation. You know, I can contribute. So some have continued on the education pathway, which has been mm-hmm. fabulous for them. Mm-hmm. Others have been released and have got a job, but are still somehow involved in the work of the think tanks, which I could get to in talking mm-hmm. about in a moment. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, some, some have been uh, back in prison. Um, so... Uh, two that I know of have been back in prison mm-hmm. um, and you know when they come back in they usually want to go come back into the think tank and come back into being um, engaged and mm. uh, you know start crying mm. uh, when they see the group yeah and you know for some people you know I, I really comfort them and I say you know it's okay you mm. it, you're here you're okay these things happen you mm. know um, for some people it takes harder to break the cycle of offending um Mm. number one and number two um what we as a society provide to people um when they um exit prison is very very um small assistance um Mm. in some cases almost non-existent if a person is a straight release from prison Um, and has no community slash um, family supports. Um, I think that most of us would struggle in a very um, similar way um, if we were in the same situation. So so that's kind of some of the anecdotal feedback. Mm. 
Yes. Um, so are you able to tell us about those think tanks, how, what they are and how, how they um, work? Yep, sure. So the think tanks work in a way where after Inside Out, um, on a voluntary basis, um, students both on the inside and outside, um, together with myself, continue and become actually advocacy groups, believe it or not. And what we do is we work on, you know, little projects to either improve the incarceration experience or reduce the likelihood of reoffending post-incarceration. Yeah. Those are kind of two main objectives according to which we work. We always work with the prison management in um, getting topics mm -hmm. for us to discuss in the think tanks. So, for example, um, we worked on a topic um, on developing an incentives program at Dane Phyllis Frost Centre. So, quite a lot of um, everything that happens in prison is always about if you don't do this, this is what happens. But we were of the opinion that having a program that actually says, if you do really well, this is your reward. And so this program is called the ARC program and it's being trialled now as we speak at Dane Phyllis Frost Centre. So that, that's been something we've been really proud about. Mm. Uh, but we've done, you know, lots of different kind of reports on, you know, how to avoid, you know, going back to a violent partner, to encouraging women to go and move to the lower um, rated prison, to... Um, coming up with community sessions, which you asked me about before, mm -hmm. um, on engaging, you know, a better kind of discussion and a more realistic discussion about crime and justice to, you know, how to reduce drug use in a, in a compound. So we've done lots of different reports and we really consider ourselves as a real advocacy group. So, right. yeah, it, it's mm -hmm. very, very interesting work. And it runs throughout the year at all of the three prisons. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, so So it takes part in the prison? Yes, yep. it still takes part in the prison. And yep. once again, the people on the inside bring their lived experience and that experience of those others in the compound. Mm -hmm. And the outside students bring the textbook, the outside experience, the research studies, and once mm -hmm. again, the two worlds, you know, mesh. And mm -hmm. we get, you know, a really good result, hopefully. Great. Uh, and so, and so that's an ongoing. The the think tanks are an ongoing kind of process after the Inside Out has finished, or does it work alongside yes. it? Mm. Yes, after Inside Out has finished, and so um, so the think tanks kind of go on all the time, the entire year. They never stop, and mm -hmm. every time a new Inside Out group comes, people from that group can go on a waiting list to join the next mm. think tank. Or mm -hmm. to join the think tank once they do inside out, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right. So, yes. And so, what do you what do you see as being the next steps with regards to the um, inside out in in Australia or Victoria? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So lots of uh, kind of plans ahead. So mm -hmm. uh, the first one is I am been working with Catherine Flint from Monash University's uh, social work area. And we have got approval to uh, offer Inside Out as a postgraduate offering in 2019 Great. to Monash students. Yes. <laughs> so they'll be coming to DPFC. So that's really exciting. Um, the other thing that's been happening is the University of Sunshine Coast, um, where I visited uh, last month, are very interested in getting their own Inside Out program up and running. So on that basis, it seems like um, some training will be provided to them in the near future and they will be kind of, um, you know, off and running as well. So that's very exciting. And there's also been some interest in Sydney mm -hmm. uh, with the University of Sydney. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what's happening. Um, otherwise, we, you know, we'd really like to get some money so mm -hmm. that we can um, run kind of, proper tracking of people where they are at and kind of to kind of try and capture some of those longer term outcomes yeah. um, not on an anecdotal basis but on a much more kind of structured basis yeah. 
So those are some of the kind of plans ahead, um, which, which are very, very exciting. Yeah, sounds very exciting. And so uh, if you had one message to leave people about creativity or criminal justice or, or a combination of the two, what, what would it be? Wow. Um, that's, a, that's a really good one. Um, don't be afraid of dreaming the impossible if you want the impossible to become reality. Mm. I, I think that's the one. Um, because most people would think, oh, well, that, that's impossible. You know, when I tell people about all the things that are, you know, kind of can see happening in the next 5, 10, 20 years, they all think, oh, that's impossible. But I honestly think they're possible and I can see them happening. And they are pretty large scale. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you've, you've, you've got a dream big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you want it to happen. So, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. Um, Well, thank you so much for being here, Marietta. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk today. Um, And if people want to know anything more about uh, the work that you do or the research, um, whereabouts can they find out a little bit about this? Uh, They can go onto the RMIT webpage and just click in Marietta Martinovic and lots of information will come up but um, they will also find there my email address um, and yeah they can feel free to drop me down an email and um, yeah take it from there. Fabulous well thank you for joining us Marietta and thank you everyone for listening. My pleasure Tess thank you. You've been listening to Beyond the Big House. If you enjoyed listening, the best way you can support us is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share it with someone you know. To find all our episodes and show notes, please head to thissimplespace.com forward slash Beyond the Big House. Beyond the Big House is produced by me, Dr. Tess Bartlett, voiceover intro by Anthony Ahern, and music and stock media provided by Deep Productions on 5. Thanks for listening.